Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Maya Sheetreet. Maya Sheetreet, MD, is a neurologist, herbalist, urban farmer, and author of The Dirt Cure, Healthy Food, Healthy Gut, Happy Child, which has been translated into 10 languages. She's been featured in The New York Times, The Telegraph, NPR, Sky News, The Dr. Oz Show, and more. Dr. Maya is the founder of the Terrain Institute, where she teaches terrain medicine, earth-based programs for transformational healing. She works and studies with indigenous communities and healers in Ecuador and is a lifelong student of ethnobotany, plant healing, and the sacred. And if you notice that you feel better in nature, there's some real science behind it. Nature can be so incredibly healing, especially if you're a highly sensitive person and or an empath. We're going to be talking all about how to use nature as a tool to help you heal and so much more. Here's Dr. Maya. Okay, so today we have Dr. Maya Sheetreet with us, and she's going to be talking about finding the magic after loss and betrayal. And as you know, something like betrayal absolutely shakes us up. The world as we've known it has come crashing down, but there are people like Dr. Uh, Dr. Maya who can help us rebuild. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, you, you, I know you teach you, the people who come through you, um, just healing after loss and and things like that. What's your process? What can you just walk us through why they would come in to see you and what types of what types of work, you know, things do you do with them? Well, so very often the people who come to see me um are at a crossroads and they've usually experienced some kind of crisis um which could be a health crisis and you know, I'm trained as a as a neurologist both pediatric and adult. So I see a lot of, of, um, you know, women really for the most part who have either they themselves may have experienced a crisis in their health, in their child's health. And oftentimes it could be in their marriage or it could have disrupted, you know, many, many aspects of their lives could, could be disrupted by this experience. And really what it is, is, um, you know, what I would think of as this, initiatory process where, you know, their life has been going, however their life has been going, you know, their normal everyday um, life. And then some crisis has come along and it may have been initiated by a health, you know, a health crisis, but it can be any other um, that then they awaken to the fact they kind of can never go back to that life again is, is what happens. And so, you know, we're sitting together and, um, Basically, it's it's a period of death for them, where you've you've died to whatever has been before the person you were before, and and what comes after the death is um, really a transformation and rebirth, where um, they're born into something new, and very often, um, what I find is that as we guide through this process, that the person that is reborn is much more true to who they really are. And that before they might've been living in a way that didn't take advantage of their, of their um, uniqueness and their greatness and their, their bigness in a sense mm-hmm. that, that they were actually 
you know, keeping themselves very small. And so that they now have, that's been exploded. Mm. And I'm so glad you said that because transformation, and I see it in my work, it cannot happen unless you're willing to die to the life that you've known. It, it just, it just, that, that transformation cannot take place. But so often we're just kind of, you know, going through our days or sleepwalking through life. And it takes these, these traumas that at the time they are, they're so hard. They're so tragic. We never know how we'll move through them, but, but they give us the greatest opportunity for growth. So can you give us an example of maybe just a, a client or patient that you had that had, that came in with some sort of health challenge or their child came in with some sort of health challenge and, and then how, what did you do with them? Well, so it can be, you know, I mean, I also teach and, and I have students where, I mean, for example, I, you know, I have, um, I've had people who have lost a child or who have, um, you know, lost their home, for example, you know, someone who recently lost their home in, in um, the, the fires in, in Los Angeles mm-hmm. um, or, you know, people who have lost their marriage and, mm-hmm. um you know, what I, what I see very often is, you know, that in the moment they are, um, you know, in that, in that period of death, um, when it feels like chaos, right? Because nothing that is familiar, um, or nothing, nothing that was before, you know, there's nothing familiar. Um, everything feels like uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. And I think like, part of what's really important in that period of time is to find things that are grounding, very grounding. So the first thing that I do is try to find practices that are, are grounding. And Mm -hmm. one of those things is actually, um, literally going outside and being connected to the earth. Mm -hmm. And it sounds very basic, maybe very obvious or kind of silly, but in fact, um, it's very powerful because, um, you know, one thing that is a constant is our deep connection with nature. It's a very ancient connection and it's a very profound connection. And there's a lot of actually documented in science health benefits um, including mm-hmm. emotional, you know, support really and transformation that we have simply from being connected to nature. And you know what? I, I have to tell you, I live in New York and it gets really cold and sometimes it's just rainy or drab out. And I, I travel a lot. And every time I go to somewhere, let's say like San Diego or something, I physically feel better. So that's a real thing then. It's, it's, that's not just because I'm on vacation, even if it's a working vacation, physically, there's something about being at the beach or something that's doing something. Absolutely. And in fact, even like being in the forest has been really um, studied, especially in Japan and that area, because there's a practice there called Shinrin-yoku or forest bathing, which has so many benefits from a physical standpoint to an emotional standpoint to a brain function standpoint. I mean, people have um, better mood, better sleep, 
um, better memory, better executive function. I mean, kind of like all the things that you want, Mm -hmm. better immune function, all simply from just immersing yourself in the beauty of the forest periodically. And so I would actually say, um, you know, that, you know how there are those preschools where kids are like, sent outside in all weather, you know, mm-hmm, and they just mm-hmm. have to have their little slicker on or they have their big, you know, giant winter coat and they look like little Eskimos. Mm-hmm. We kind of have to do that too. We as adults, especially when we're going through the grieving process, we actually have to put on our little Eskimo coats and be like those toddlers or little kindergartners that are being sent out in all weather and really allow ourselves to be in that, especially, you know, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but when there's a little bit wild weather, you know, if it's raining or if it's, it's like, you know, a little windy or something like it's actually very, um, it's actually very healing when you're feeling kind of grief or wild inside, you Mm. know, as a way of really like, um, releasing that and, and feeling that kind of mirroring, you know, mm-hmm. because like there's kind of a concept, right? Like, you know, as without, so within. And this idea that we actually, you know, connect to the environment around us. And it's a it's a true way of healing. And is there, I, I have no idea if this is the case, but is there a certain type of weather or aspect of nature that would be more healing than, uh, than another? Or is it just a personal preference? Well, I don't think it has to be a particular way, like for some people. And, and also, so part of what I do with people is we, we work on ritual. And the reason that I work on ritual, and it's not necessarily a religious thing at all, but more about um, this idea of really stepping outside of time and stepping outside of the ordinary into kind of a, a sacred place for your own healing. And so there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, you know, both, you know, indoors and outdoors, um, using actually and connecting to nature, like sometimes we'll build a sort of sacred space, like a little sort of altar, a healing altar. And the process of making that, some people will use crystals or just stones or, I don't know, pine cones, sometimes little objects that are very special to them or pictures, Mm -hmm. um, you know, different kinds of things like that. Um, using little bits of nature indoors. And sometimes it can be being outdoors. It could be going and immersing yourself in the ocean or Mm -hmm. going to the ocean and maybe like, you know, doing some kind of release ritual for yourself, Um, you know, at a lake or an ocean. It can be being in the forest. It could be being at the beach, you know. But I do think that it's really that direct connection that is powerful. I sometimes believe it or not in my office, and this might sound crazy, but you wouldn't believe how effective it is. Mm-hmm. People, when they're feeling really agitated and upset um, and anxious in my office, I will actually, I have a very large rock. It's, mm-hmm. not, a, it's not a crystal. It's just a large rock, heavy. Mm-hmm. And I put it in their lap um, and it transforms them. Wow. Immediately. Like people are truly amazed. And I do it with kids. I do it with um, adults. And it is unbelievable how grounding and how just, um, you know, how balancing in a sense it can be just that small, you know, thing. They are not outside. They're not doing anything dramatic or creative, just sitting with a big rock 
in their laps. That's so interesting. And it's, and I'm looking around in my office and I have this sort of little bowl of, of rocks that just have the little sayings on them. And I just love grabbing one and feeling it. And very often as I'm just, as I'm speaking to people or as I'm doing a podcast, I'm holding them, I'm rubbing them. And there is something that just feels really good about it. So that's so interesting. Now talk to us about sensitive a, a, someone who is sensitive or a highly sensitive person, is nature even that much more important for someone like that? Well, absolutely. And I think in many cases, um, it's it's a lot of times the, the sensitive people that um, A, might be more subject to these, you know, or vulnerable to these kinds of um, periods, of, like these kinds of events in their mm-hmm. lives, because um, a lot of times they're they're, you know, they might be a little bit more um, vulnerable, let's say, um, especially if they haven't learned to really respect their boundaries well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so part of also what I do with people is um, really help them kind of understand themselves as sensitive people or as empaths, because we have not really, um, in our society, we we don't have a good... um, language or even like a good, you know, a sense of appreciation for the gifts that empaths and sensitive people have, but they really do. They're very perceptive um, and very, uh, very attuned to the people around them and their environments. And that's part of what makes them a little bit more vulnerable. So, you know, um, when I work with people who are sensitive, on the one hand, I'm really um, teaching them about, about how to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which doesn't mean withdrawing from life, um, mm-hmm. very much engaging with life, but also, um, but also just knowing where those boundaries are both, you know, physical and emotional boundaries and also really energetic boundaries. Um, and, you know, we definitely also work with healing through the earth. And absolutely it's true that um, highly sensitive people and empaths, and these are kind of two categories with a lot of crossover, um, are known as one of the characteristics to be very connected to um, often plants or the earth or nature or animals. This is actually a very common thread. And so Mm. it's a real source of healing. And I believe many people intuitively can, can, you know, find that for themselves, but also it's untapped for so many people creating this kind of healing relationship with, with nature and with the earth. And I think that's so, it's, it's just not, like you said, I mean, it's, it's just not understood. First of all, I think that's why I have six dogs. (laughs) So you answered that question. Can you, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Can you talk about the difference maybe between a highly sensitive person and an empath and maybe the characteristics of of both? Sure. So highly sensitive person, you know, so there's people who are empathic, which is hopefully most of us, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you might be someone who like your heart goes out to another person, you know, in a time of difficulty or a time of joy, right? So that's like what being empathic is. But then there's sort of next level um, to that might be being a highly sensitive person. And so a highly sensitive person um, tends to have a lower threshold for stimulation. Um, and then, and more, they might be more sensitive to things like light or sound mm-hmm. or smells. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have like kind of aversions to like, uh, large groups, mm-hmm. 
need for alone time, more need for alone time, and sometimes also additional time to transition from a high stimulation um, part of their day to a low stimulation. So like when they get home, let's say from work, where they might've had to be doing a lot of different things, talking to a lot of people around a lot of noise and action, you know, they need more transition time to get into that low stimulation place mm-hmm. um, and that peaceful centered place. And then highly sensitive people tend to have a love of nature and quiet environments. Mm-hmm. So so, yeah. so they could be in the loud environment, but they're just not comfortable. And they, they really look to leave that and, and then get that, that quiet. So it's so interesting you're saying this because if I tell you how often I travel, I'll go to a conference and it's great during the day and I love it. And then I, I really want to just go back to my room. And then there are the people who they're just, they just want to party all night long. And, yeah, go, 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 right? Yeah. And I just don't have it in me. It's like the, you know, the, I've used up whatever wattage I could and I feel so completely drained and need to replenish. So is that right. a, that's like one of those characteristics then, I guess. Exactly. You know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of, and for some people, I mean, it's really like a highly sensitive person, which by the way, does not mean you have to be an introvert. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily that, you know, probably we think about like 20% of people, um, or maybe even 30, uh, of highly sensitive people are actually extroverts. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that, you know, you have to be super shy or an introvert, but, but it, you know, these are also people who might like going to a parade, Mm -hmm. you know, or like going to be at Times Square on New Year's Eve or, you know, going to some really crowded concert is like kind of a nightmare, right? Like they're like, no, thank you. And yeah, absolutely. I do think that what you're describing is sort of that need, like you can be in the activity, you can enjoy, you know, kind of a stimulating environment, but you have limits. Mm -hmm. And well, there are those people who, you know, who you're describing, who can do, who can do the the social thing and kind of the um, high stimulation kind of um, experience. Let's say at a conference or wherever, um, nonstop, you know, mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. for days and days and days. So I I definitely um, I definitely agree with you on that. And and so then in in contrast or or um, you know kind of almost the next level to that would be an empath. And you know what, Dr. Maya, before you go into that, I just want to, for anybody listening, what would somebody do? So let's say they are a highly sensitive person. They went to, they're they're at this conference. It's a three-day conference. They, they, you know, do what they need to do during the day. They really want to replenish. Is there something where, where let's say they're in a, you know, they're at the hotel and the conference room and they really can't go anywhere. Is there something that would help them during that time? Well, absolutely. And I think it's something that would help for both the sensitive people and the empaths because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of overlap. But, you know, one of the things I'd say just specifically for that is um, if you're in your room, let's say you're not going to go find a spot in nature, you know, Mm -hmm. um, which often people can do, but sometimes you can't, Mm -hmm. is actually what I recommend is creating a little altar um, in your own space, in your hotel room. And I actually do that whenever I travel because I also travel quite a bit and it can be very stimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially, and, and just overwhelming, especially, you know, like I recently went to Australia and, you know, was giving several talks and mm-hmm. it was like coming, you know, going to the other side of the equator for me and very, you know, it's a very, it could be yeah. a very dramatic experience and obviously a lot of stimulation. So, you know, some of the things that you can just do, I mean, obviously, you know, it's important to like eat well, 
mm-hmm. and drink. I mean, these are basic things, but really, um, for people who are more sensitive, they experience, you know, disruption or eating like junk, junky foods or foods mm-hmm. that really bother them much more acutely mm-hmm. than some, maybe other people might. So it's really important that they're eating well for their bodies, which could involve bringing food with them or, mm-hmm. you know, being a little, planning a little bit more in advance um, and drinking plenty and sleep. I mean, those are like really the basic basics. But what mm-hmm. I recommend if someone's had that kind of day where they've gotten a lot of stimulation is as soon as you get to your room, you shower. And there's a lot to be said, believe it or not, from a, a spiritual standpoint, energetic standpoint, an emotional standpoint, and a physical standpoint of, of just washing, washing. Mm. Um, it is a cleansing experience. And in the work, you know, I've studied for many years with like elders and, you know, indigenous people. And that's been a big part of my, my training. Um, and, you know, cleaning yourself with water is, is critical, a critical part of caring for your physical, emotional, and spiritual bodies. Oh, that's a, that's a great idea. And is this also why I know some people who, as they, you know, when they travel, they bring sage with them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a little mm-hmm. tricky to do that in the hotel room, mm-hmm. but, you know, I definitely, um, you know, it doesn't have to be sage. I mean, you can do it with rosemary, you can do it with mugwort, you can do it with um, palo santo. There are all different kinds mm-hmm. of plants that actually you can you can burn. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or they kind of smolder really mm-hmm. um, a little bit. And that smoke is also used as a way of um, helping to, to, clear, to clear yourself really mm-hmm. and clear the environment around you. And interestingly, there's actually science behind this idea of medicinal smoke, um, mm-hmm. that it actually even helps change the environment from a microbial standpoint. That's mm-hmm. been actually measured and studied. So it's very cool because, you know, it's a, a very um, ancient practice, but it's something that, you know, we're seeing as with many things that are ancient practices, that there's science growing. That's, it's so interesting. But I would say for everybody listening, as far as travel, you may not want to set off the fire alarms with, with the with the sage and, and take that risk. So so it sounds like water and just showering is a great idea. Yeah, but stepping outside, you can do that, you mm-hmm. know? So it isn't something that's beyond, and it is nice to have, a few backup tools mm-hmm. um, in case, you know, someone's, if you're feeling really disrupted and this could be also, I mean, I think really relevant for going home for the holidays, you oh, know, wow. yeah. or having people come to your home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. It's really important to clear yourself and clear your space, which means doing the showers. It means grounding, getting outdoors if you can, or having some special rock. Like you said, you might grab a couple of those rocks from your desk and mm-hmm. take them with you when you fly and when you travel so that you kind of have those things that are um, able to help you ground a little bit, even when you're not home. And is there a certain rock or crystal or something that you know of that is really helpful in grounding? Well, there are many actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about crystals is um, they can be also very activating for some mm-hmm. people depending. So if you're a person who has kind of like, um, you know, I think the most important thing, you know, is to feel really drawn to mm-hmm. whatever crystal you're using. Like, I think it's, it's great. Like you kind of can't go wrong with, with clear quartz, mm-hmm. for example, okay. you know, if you're looking for something, I mean, there's lots of wonderful 
Um, stones, tourmaline, black tourmaline is another one that's very grounding and, mm-hmm. and very um, good kind of for deflecting, you know, anything that you don't want to. But, um, but I personally have to tell you, I think that even having just a regular stone um, that you could even find outside, something that catches your eye or draws you, um, that can be as helpful and as grounding as any, you know, beautiful crystal can be. Okay. That's beautiful. Uh, Now, what about the empath? Let's talk about the empath. So empaths have basically all of the same qualities as the highly sensitive person, um, but they tend to um, have more of a super sensitivity, um, sensing kind of subtle energy, um, feeling other people's physical symptoms or emotions or energy in their own bodies. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, they're super sensitive to unspoken language mm-hmm. um, and can tend to have this heightened state of subtle awareness. So the empaths, and there's a lot of different types of empaths where, um, you know, these are people who might really have these um, gifts in a sense of um, being very intuitive or um, dreaming things sometimes even before they happen or being very, very connected to plants or animals. There's plant empaths and animal empaths. Um, So this is sort of a particular group of people um, that tend to be much more intuitive. And so they can run into certain kinds of challenges because they get very overstimulated and really feel things intensely. And um, it tends to be actually that people sense that they um, are empaths and will sort of, uh, you know, take advantage of that in some way by really like talking to them about their most personal, Mm -hmm. you know, traumas and things like that. And, And so they can end up feeling kind of emotional burnout Um, And a lot of empaths end up because they're not really um, aware of this aspect of themselves that they need to care for these gifts that they have um, can end up with things like, um, you know, feeling isolated or lonely or even having addictions as a way of kind of coping. Mm -hmm. Um, So so it's a really important thing to know about yourself because um, there are a lot of gifts associated with it and it just takes special care. Um, to kind of navigate the these challenges that can come up. So let's say somebody's listening now and they're, and all of a sudden the light bulb just went off. They said, oh my gosh, I had no idea. I felt things as deeply because I'm an empath. I had no idea that, you know, here I am sensing things before they happen and and everybody's coming to me with, with all their stuff and I'm feeling it like 10 times more than everybody else around me. Mm-hmm. What do they do? How do they protect themselves? Well, so the first thing, there are three kind of basic things about just creating space that Mm -hmm. I would say first and foremost. So physical space, creating physical space, step away. Sometimes you need to step away. And I really just like give people permission to, you know, excuse themselves. Um, You know, you're at a party, you're on a train, make sure you have headphones. I always recommend Mm -hmm. having headphones as a way of being able to, you know, you're in the cafe trying to get work done, whatever it might be, um, being able to really step away, excuse yourself to the bathroom, you know, or say, excuse me, you know, it was so good to talk to you. You know, you can always use your phone as an out. 
but really sometimes just creating physical space is very important. Um, creating emotional space for yourself, which means saying no. Mm-hmm. Um, that is something that a lot of people, um, especially women and especially, you know, empaths, um, have a hard time with. They we, you know, we're kind of trained and conditioned to be givers. And it doesn't mean that we're not givers if we say no or that mm-hmm. we're stopping that, but it's being selective because ultimately, um, whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to other things. So if mm-hmm. you're saying yes to something that is not sustainable for you or does not take good care of yourself um, and your own needs and sensitivities and perhaps perhaps empathy, then um you know, what you're doing is saying no to those things when you say yes to someone else's needs that might not be in alignment. So just being able to say no is another way of setting boundaries. And Mm -hmm. it's crazy how, you know, in a way it's sort of unbelievable how much we really need permission to say no, Um, but it's very effective. And then creating energetic space, which for me is breathing and really focusing on breath. Um, So a lot of times when we're in a situation where we feel like someone is kind of overstepping um, or not, you know, respecting our boundaries, we hold our breath. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is actually, so breathing is a way of creating space inside of you and around you. So just focusing on taking, you know, slow, deep breaths is, is another basic way. And these might all sound very obvious, but um, you'd be surprised at how many people are not employing these very simple strategies, which can make a huge difference. Oh, absolutely. I, they were all, they, they all make so much sense. So what do you want to make sure we get in before we wrap up? Well, I think what's really important is just to know that, um, you know, in these periods, whether, you know, if you're a sensitive person, you're an empath, um, you know, or you're just someone who's gone through this kind of initiatory process where, um, you know, your whole world has been turned upside down um, and, and you're kind of looking for the roadmap um, where, there, where you, can't, you can't find the roadmap, but mm-hmm. you're looking to kind of um, navigate this new uncharted territory. Um, it's really important and actually incredibly healing and, and also a way to find guidance Um, your own inner guidance and purpose to connect with nature and to connect with the natural world um, because there is a real space for both absorbing grief and um, transforming and kind of alchemizing trauma. And and really like the earth is a a beautiful um, place to, to experience some of that rebirth um, that happens in that transformation. There's a lot of guidance if you, if you, um, you know, go and especially find a space that feels really special to you. So I have Mm -hmm. people who are going and finding a particular space that they love in -hmm. their garden or outdoors or, you know, in the woods near them or a park and going back to that place, um, regularly can feel like a very special and healing, um, part of the process. Some great healing advice. And where do we learn more about you? Where do we go? Um, so best way is to, you can follow me on Instagram, Dr. Maya Sheetreat. I post there really regularly, a lot of stuff about this. And also at my website, drmaya.com, D-R-M-A-Y-A. 
Oh, great. Thank you so much. Everybody get out in nature. (laughs) Thank you for your time. Thank you. I love the idea of making physical space, emotional space, and energetic space as a way to help ground ourselves and stay calm. Dr. Maya gave so many practical and useful suggestions that can help the empath, highly sensitive person, or anyone who wants to reduce their stress and help move through their trauma. Stay in touch with Dr. Maya by going to drmaya.com and we'll have all of her information at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. There are so many gifts that come with being a highly sensitive person or an empath. Although you may also experience some of the downsides, which can be exhausting yourself because you're taking on the energy of others and so much more. Learn to embrace this beautiful side of you by understanding what you need to replenish your energy and be sure to give that to yourself. It's not selfish, it's self-preservation. And let's start with giving you something by allowing me to give you a gift. Head over to pbtinstitute.com and receive my gift of how your biggest crisis reveals your greatest gift and let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.